Well, I heard about this frog and two ducks that lived by a pond in northern Virginia one summer. And, and as they hung out at the pond, they became the best of friends. And as the summer came to a close, they, they decided they wanted to stay together. But the ducks were going to be flying south for the winter. And, and here the frog couldn't fly, so they were trying to figure out what to do. And so the frog came up with this ingenious plan. He got this stick, and he told the two ducks, if you will hold the stick in your beak, then I will grab a hold of the stick with my mouth, and you can fly, and, and every couple of hours we'll stop, and, and we can all rest, and then we can fly again. And they all thought that was a good plan. That way they could stay together since they had become the best of friends. And so they took off, and they began to fly. And as they were flying... They passed this farmer, and the farmer looked up in the air, and he, he saw these two ducks with this stick in their mouths and carrying a frog on the stick. And, and the farmer said, wow, that's a clever idea. I wonder who came up with that. And the frog overheard him and said, I did. Pride always comes before a fall. I heard about this girl who, who she struggled with pride and so she went to her priest to confess that she struggled with pride and she told the priest, she said, Father, every time I, I look in the mirror, I think to myself, I am absolutely beautiful. And the priest said, "Hun, don't worry about it. That's not pride. That's a mistake. <laughs> oh, that's awful, isn't it? That's awful. Heard about this preacher little country preacher and church he was pastoring they didn't pay him that much and so he had a little farm on the side to help make some extra money to support his family and and one day his wife went on a trip while she was gone the, the pastor was looking in the closet for for something and he found this strange looking box and he took the box out of the closet he opened up the box and inside the the box was a was a carton with with five eggs in it and $10,000. And he began to think to himself, what in the world is, is this carton of eggs with five eggs and $10,000 doing in the closet? And so when his wife came home, he said, "Hun, do you know anything about this box that has the carton with five eggs in it? And she said, well, well yeah. He said, well, well, what is it? She said, well, when you started preaching 30 years ago, I decided that every time you preach a bad sermon, I'm going to put an egg in the carton. And, and that young pastor, that older pastor, began to well up with pride because he said, five eggs. Only five eggs over 30 years of sermons. It's pretty good. And he said, well, hon, what about the $10,000? Where'd that come from? And she said, oh, well, every time there was a dozen eggs, I would sell the eggs, put the money in there. <laughs> Now that's funny, but pride's not. Pride is never funny. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the greatest sin in the world is pride. Augustine said, when a man is proud, he exalts himself and dethrones God. William Barclay said, pride is the ground in which all other sins grow. Did you get that? Pride is the ground in which all other sins 
grow. Now, we all have a picture of what pride looks like, don't we? And who pride looks like. And most likely, it doesn't look like the person we see in the mirror. But what we need to understand is that pride comes in all shapes and sizes. Pride comes in all kinds of forms. There's physical pride, there's intellectual pride, there's success pride, and of course there's spiritual pride. But then there's what I like to call reverse pride. Now reverse pride is, is when your pride shows itself by how you criticize yourself. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You say things like, I'm not good at, or I'm not that pretty, or I'm not that handsome, or I'm not that smart. And when we say things like that, we say, well, certainly I don't have pride. But in reality, what we're doing when we say those things is we're wanting people to look at us. When we say those things, we're trying to draw attention to ourselves. When we say those things, we are trying to be in the spotlight. Now, pride is something that, that I believe we all deal with, but I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's some of you here this morning, what you're saying right now is this, well, of all the messages that, that Rocky has ever preached, this one doesn't apply to me. I mean, if there's one thing that I don't struggle with, if there's one thing that I don't deal with, if there's one thing I don't have a problem with, it's pride. But what I want you to consider this morning is this. The very real possibility that you, that you struggle with pride. Because the truth of the matter is, we all do. As a matter of fact, I believe that pride is an American epidemic. I, I really do. You say, how so? Well, we live in the day and age of everyone gets a trophy, amen? I mean, you show up, you get a trophy. Oh, that's a nice trophy. What'd you get? What'd you do? I showed up. I'm somebody. And from the day our children are born, we tell our children they can be anything. They can do anything. Nothing can stop them. And that fosters an attitude of pride. And what you need to understand is God hates pride. Pride wrecks families. Pride destroys lives. Pride sends people to hell. In Proverbs 16, it says this, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Did you get that? Everyone that is proud is an abomination. Now, we, we like to think about an abomination as those really, 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 really bad sins, right? Those sins that, that only a few people do, and they are so bad that they're an abomination, but... But the Bible says that pride is an abomination to God. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, it says it this way. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. A proud look. That's the very first one. The very first thing that God hates, the very first thing that, that God says is an abomination is pride. When, when Solomon is listing the seven things that God hates, he starts with pride. 
the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud. He resists the proud. Pride is a big, big deal. Now this morning as we continue our our series on the kings, we're going to be looking at a king who struggled with pride. And his pride led to his downfall. Now what you need to understand about this king is this king loved the Lord. This king did what was pleasing, the Bible says, in the eyes of the Lord. This king, the Bible says, sought the Lord. But pride entered his heart and pride led to his downfall. Now his name is Uzziah. His story is found in 2 Chronicles 26. I want us to begin reading in verse 3. Listen to what it says. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. Only one king reigned longer than Uzziah in Judah. His mother was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Now the name Uzziah means strength of Jehovah. And it's obvious as we look at Uzziah's life and we look at the accomplishments that that came through Uzziah's life, the Lord gave him strength. The Lord gave him success. We are told that he sought the Lord during the days of Zechariah. Now that reminds us of who we looked at last week. Remember Joash? Joash is Uzziah's grandfather. We are told that Joash sought the Lord during the days of the priest. But when the priest died, he turned his back on God. This kind of lets us know that the same thing that happened to his grandfather is probably going to happen to him. You see, it is important for you and for me to have not only mentors in our life, it is important for us to have people that we are accountable to in our life. It is important for us to have people in our life who we are willing to listen to, who we will allow to confront us, who we will allow to call us out when we mess up. Because if we don't, we are in for a fall. Now we are told as long as he sought God's guidance, God gave him success. And militarily, domestically, God gave him success. In verse 15 it says, His fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. But that's when the story takes a a bad turn. I want you to listen to what it says beginning in verse 16. It says, but when he had become powerful, uh uh-oh, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Azariah the high priest went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priest alone, the descendants of Aaron, who were set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned. Lord God will not honor you for this. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. 
But as he was standing there raging at the priest before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the high priest, and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out, and the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house. For he was excluded from the temple of the Lord. His son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace and he governed his people, he governed the people of the land. The rest of the events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. When Uzziah died, he was buried with his ancestors. His grave was in a nearby burial field belonging to the kings, for the people said he had leprosy. And his son Jotham became the next king. Now don't miss what it says. His pride led to his downfall. And what did he do? The Bible says he entered the temple and he personally began to burn incense on the altar of the Lord. And you're probably saying, what's the big deal? Can't anybody approach the altar of the Lord? Well, we can now because of what Jesus has done. Jesus, our great high priest, has made it possible for each and every one of us to come to the altar because he has presented the ultimate sacrifice. But in the Old Testament, it was not that way. In the Old Testament, God had set apart the priest to provide the sacrifices, to present the incense, to provide the offerings to the Lord. They were the only ones that could do it. And they had to be of the lineage of Aaron. These priests were specifically set apart. They were ceremonially cleansed so that they could do what God had called them to do. But here was Uzziah because he was the king. He felt like he had rights and he had privileges that, that he did not have. And so he went into the temple and went up to the altar and began making these offerings to the Lord. Well, the high priest and 80 other priests, all brave men, it says that because what were they doing? They were confronting the king. That took bravery. So the high priest and these 80 other priests went and confronted the king and said, get out of here now. You can't do this. This is only for the priest of the line of Aaron. And what does it say Uzziah did? He got angry. He became furious. He began to boil with rage at the priest but immediately God had had enough and God struck him with leprosy now leprosy is a disease that back in ancient days was much more severe than it is now and it it attacks the skin it attacks the nerves it deforms the skin but because it attacks the nerves it causes immense pain and so here, here's here's Uzziah, who, who is immediately struck with this leprosy, the priests noticed it because they saw it. Uzziah knew he had it because he felt it. So the priest rushed him out because now he was ceremonially unclean. He had no right to be in there anyway. Now he had to get out. And Uzziah was ready to get out because he knew God had done this to him. And because he had leprosy, he had to live the rest of his life in isolation. He couldn't be around people. He couldn't go to the temple. 
And when he was buried, he was buried in a burial plot that was owned by the kings, but he was buried separate from the other kings because he had leprosy. Now, as we read this story, there are some things that we learn about pride that I believe each and every one of us need to know. First of all, two key truths. Here's number one. Pride always leads to a fall. It may not lead to a fall immediately, but pride will always lead to a fall unless it is dealt with immediately by repenting, acknowledging, confessing it, and turning from it. Listen to what it says again in verse 16. But, but when he became powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. Look at me. We worship pride today in America. God curses pride. Because pride will always lead to a downfall. It always has and it always will. It led to Satan's downfall. Did you know Satan was not always Satan? He was not always the devil. He was not always this evil, wicked ruler of the underworld. Did you know that? I mean, Satan used to be Lucifer. He was the worship leader of heaven. The Bible says that he was the most beautiful, the most powerful of all of the angelic beings until pride entered his heart. And pride entered his heart and he wanted to be God. In Isaiah it says it this way, How have you fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. But instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to the lowest depths. Lucifer wasn't content to worship God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. Lucifer wasn't content to serve God. He wanted to be served as God. Lucifer wasn't content to bow before God. He wanted to be bowed down before. Lucifer wasn't content to approach the throne. He wanted to sit on the throne. You see, Lucifer thought that he could do a better job than God. And he rebelled against God. But instead of taking over heaven, he was thrown out of heaven. Pride comes before the fall but it doesn't stop there because we're told that pride entered the human race the first man the first woman Adam and Eve set up in this incredible pad called the Garden of Eden God just set them up for all eternity in enters Satan and Satan uses the same temptation that snatched him pride and he presented this pride fruit to Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat this pride fruit, you will be just like God. And Adam and Eve, they thought that was a good idea. They wanted to be God. I mean, who doesn't want to sit on the throne? Who doesn't want to rule their own life? Who doesn't want to be the master of the universe? And so they did exactly what Satan said. They ate that pride fruit. And they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were separated from God. 
and physically they began to die. Pride comes before the fall. But some of you are saying, what does that have to do with me? That was Satan. That was Adam and Eve. What does that have to do with me? Well, you and I are children of Adam and Eve. We are born with the same predispositions that they had. They were egotistical. And listen, you and I are egotistical. Just like Adam and Eve, we want to sit on the throne. Just like Adam and Eve, we want to call the shots. Just like Adam and Eve, we believe we know better than God does. And pride comes before the fall. It affects us all. It it even affected Jesus' closest followers. One day Jesus' disciples were sitting around a table eating a meal and and as they were sitting around the table eating the meal they had a discussion that entered into an argument and you know what they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom pride and I'll guarantee you Peter didn't say well I think it's Bartholomew I'm sure John didn't say well no Peter I'm sure it's going to be you no what they were saying is I think I'll be greatest no I'm going to be greatest. I'm going to sit on this side of the throne. Pride always comes before the fall. Listen, it may not be immediate. We may not even see it this side of eternity. But mark my word, pride always comes before the fall. Pride isn't the only thing that creates a fall, but pride always creates a fall if it's not dealt with. Second truth is this. Elevating yourself is ultimately isolating yourself. Listen to what it says in verse 21. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in, what does it say? Isolation in a separate house for he was excluded from the temple of the Lord. Pride isolates us from God. From the point that pride entered Uzziah's heart and leprosy struck Uzziah, he was no longer allowed to go into the temple of God, the house of God. Pride separated him from God. Sin always does, by the way. Sin separates us from God. Now, now here's the problem with us. We don't see pride as this real bad thing. Let me give you an example. All right. If I stood up here right now and I said, hey, I got a confession to make. I struggle with lust. And I got to tell you, I've been eyeing some of y'all. Now that'd freak you out, wouldn't it? Would it freak you out? I hope it'd freak you out. I mean, me, you go, oh, I feel uncomfortable with that, right? Right? But if I stand up and say, hey, y'all, I got a confession to make. I struggle with pride. You say, well, we all do. No big deal. Right? You see, pride is one of those things that originates in the heart, and sometimes it never makes it to the outside. And because it doesn't, we don't think it's this big deal and yet it is a real big deal to God it's a big big deal you see we have this idea that I don't cuss I don't chew I don't date girls that do 
And, and because of that, I'm all this and more. And we think we're okay spiritually when in reality the, the sins like pride, those are the ones that God calls an abomination, right? So our pride isolates us from God, but our pride also isolates us from other people. I mean, who wants to hang around proud, arrogant people, right? I mean, who wants to, you know, be around somebody that's always bragging about what they've done, that always thinks it's about them? Hey, can you go get me something to eat? Hey, can you do this for me? Hey, can you serve me this way? I mean, nobody wants to be around that. And so pride ultimately isolates us from other people. So pride comes before the fall, and it always leads to a fall if it's not dealt with. And pride ultimately isolates. When we try to elevate ourselves, we're ultimately isolating ourselves. So what are some warning signs that pride is in our heart? Let me give you three. First of all, we think that our success comes from within rather than from above. I want you to listen to what it says in chapter 26. Verse 5 says this, As long as the king sought guidance of the Lord, God gave him success. Who gave him success? God. Verse 7, God helped him in his wars against the Philistines. Who helped him? God helped him. Verse 15, His fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help. The Lord gave him what? Marvelous help. It's easy for us to forget where our success comes from, but we need to understand that we are nobody apart from God. Did you hear me? We're nobody apart from God. We think we're somebody. We think we're all this and more, but we're not. You're a nobody. You're saying, you hurt my feelings. Well, get over it. You're a nobody. I'm a nobody. Apart from God, you're nothing. The Bible says you're clay in the potter's hand. What's this? Plato. All righty, Plato. Do something. Make yourself somebody. Come on, come on. Make the team. Get a scholarship. Doe? Plato? Do something. That's silly, isn't it? I mean, this Plato can't do anything on its own it's nothing and yet we sit back and we think we think that we who are the clay in the potter's hands are something without the potter we're nothing any success you have is because of your creator anything that you have in your life that is lasting comes from your creator. You say, well, what about unbelievers? Anything in their life that is successful, anything that in their life is lasting, comes from the creator. We have nothing apart from our creator. You're nothing. 
apart from God. Accept it. And if you can't, look at me. You got pride. You ate the pride fruit. You got pride digestion. It's bubbling and gurgling inside of you. And it's dying to come out. You think that you've accomplished something because of who you are. Who you are is only because God has made you. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He says success doesn't ruin a person. Success reveals a person. Did you hear that? Whoa. Success doesn't ruin a person. Success reveals a person. Then he went on to say, curiously, most people can handle adversity with grace. But very few can handle life at the top. So true. We think our success comes from within rather than above. Second warning sign. We don't think the rules apply to us. Listen to what it says in verse 16. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. God's word was clear. Only the priest could do that. But for some reason, this man who otherwise sought God thought that the rules didn't matter to him. Pride always leads us to that point. Did you hear me? Pride always leads us to a point where we think the rules don't apply to us. It may be that we think we're above the rules, or maybe we think that we can interpret the rules better than God can, but ultimately we end up breaking the rules. It may begin like this. If I were God, I would do things differently. Or we may something like this. Well, I don't think God really meant that. I think this is what he meant. We break God's rules blatantly. That's pride. You don't believe me? Well, let me see if I can offend everybody. Okay? Matthew 19 says that if you divorce for any reason other than sexual unfaithfulness, you've committed adultery. Jesus' words, from his mouth to eternity. If you divorce for any reason other than sexual unfaithfulness, you have committed adultery. Well, I don't think that's what he meant. What? Oh, I, th I think somebody said that. 1 Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you avoid fornication. Th that word fornication, pornea, is the word for sex outside of marriage. You avoid sex before marriage. Well, I love this person. I'm planning on marrying them one day. I, I think God understands. What? Huh? Matthew 18. How many times should you forgive? You shouldn't forgive seven times. You should forgive 70 times seven. Well, you don't know what that person did to me. I think God would understand. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Well, that was written before my wife was ever created. <laughs> or, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Well, I'm not submitting to anybody. Meow. 
I am woman, hear me roar. Or what about, what about this one? Malachi 3, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. What about that one? Or, or hey, what about this one? Hebrews 13, 17, obey your spiritual rulers who rule over you, for they will answer to God. You mean God wants me to obey Rocky? He doesn't know Rocky. Really? Really? You offended? You, you see, the rules don't apply to me. God knows my situation is different than everybody else's. What? P-R-I-D, what? E. Pride. The rules don't apply to me. And then third, we get upset when others confront us. Verses 17 through 19, Azariah the high priest went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. They confronted King Uzziah. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. How do you respond when you're confronted with sin? Is your attitude, I dare you? Who do you think you are to call me out? Do you know who I am? It was my so-and-so who gave so-and-so so we could have so-and-so. Well, big so-and-so. P-R-I-D. Pride. And what does the Bible say about pride? God hates pride. Pride is an abomination to God. God opposes the proud. God resists the proud. So what do we do? Well, we acknowledge it. We admit it. We deal with it. We get rid of it. Because we need God's grace. Amen? And here's what the Bible says in James chapter 4. It says God resists the proud, but he gives, listen, grace to the humble. Here's what I know. If you're here right now and you say, well, this message isn't for me, that passage isn't for you. We're on the same page? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Then it goes on to say, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. If you humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up in due time. God resists the proud. 
He gives grace to the humble. Here's what I know. There's no salvation apart from God's grace. Did you hear me? No salvation apart from God's grace. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You can't sustain yourself in this world without grace. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You're never going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ without grace, but God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How to tell you. I can't speak for you. Well, I could, but I'm not. But I need grace. And if I was going to speak for you, I would say you do too. We all do. And so if I'm going to experience the grace of salvation in my life, I've got to humble myself. If I am going to experience the grace of God and grow in His grace and knowledge and become the man that God wants me to be, I need His grace. And to do that, I have to humble myself. And if I am going to make it through the difficult difficulties of this life, and they are many, I need God's grace. And if I'm going to experience God's grace, I've got to humble myself. So here's the deal. We all need grace. We just need different kinds. Some of us need saving grace this morning. We've, we've never been saved. You've never humbled yourself before God. Truly humbled yourself before him, acknowledging your sin, acknowledging your unworthiness before a holy God, confessing that you need him. He alone can save you, giving him your life. And some of you need to do that. Some of you need sustaining grace. Some of you need sanctifying grace. But we all need grace. And so that means that all of us need to come to the altar. And the good news is, unlike Uzziah, who had to have somebody else do it for him, we don't. We can approach the throne of God boldly and ask for grace and mercy. So what about it? If you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, that's the most important thing you can do right now. So I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes and with your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here, and you've never truly repented of your sin, trusting Christ alone to save you, humbled yourself to Him, given your life to Him, given your all to Him, then I beg you, I beg you, humble yourself before God. Let Him do a work in your life that only He can do. Pray this prayer to Him. Dear God, I come to you this morning Humbly asking you to forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know it. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. God, I know you love me. In spite of my sin. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. Today, I'm trusting Jesus to save me.
come into my life, take control, sit on the throne, rule and reign. Whatever you want, I'll do. I'm, I'm just clay. If you want me to struggle all my life, I will. I'm clay. If you want me to rule, I will. I'm clay. If you want me to be single, I'll be single because I'm clay. If you want me to be married, I'll be married because I'm clay. You are my Lord. I'm giving my all to you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me.